Next on ReachMD, Voices from American Medicine, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from physicians currently in practice in the front lines of healthcare. Now here is the host of Voices from American Medicine, Gary Epstein. A veteran health insurance marketing executive changes sides and actively lobbies for health care reform. Along the way, he goes public with some of the frightening practices of the health insurance industry. With us today is Wendell Potter, author of the recently published book, Deadly Spin. Mr. Potter, welcome back to ReachMD and to Voices from American Medicine. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's really great to talk to you. As the former chief marketing officer for the American Medical Association, it's a great pleasure. I enjoyed reading your book. If enjoyed is the, <laughs> is the right term, it's a pretty frightening account of what's going on out there. I think, as you know, ReachMD is kind of a unique channel. We talk to several hundred thousand doctors and medical professionals. And while I have no doubt that the book itself is a great read and important for our audience to read, I think it's important in a different way than it is for the patient community to understand what's really going on out there. So I guess the first question I'd like to ask you is, tell me a little bit about why you think docs and medical professionals should read the book and why they should really care about the distressing situation with the health insurance industry. It's my opinion that uh, over the last several years, the shift in power in our health care system now is very much controlled in many ways by the health insurance industry. And I think that what I'm doing here is pulling the curtains back so that readers can, can see how decisions are made and what these companies do to make sure they win, certainly win in Washington when public policy is being debated, but also in the marketplace. So I think it's important to know a lot about the folks you have to deal with. As I've spoken to a lot of groups and I've spoken to a lot of people who are advocating or had been advocating for reform, and many of them have advocated for much more far-ranging reform than what we wound up with, but you need to know your enemy, and I'm not necessarily saying that the insurance company should automatically be considered your enemy, but you need to know them. You need to know how they operate. Yep, absolutely. You know, from a practical standpoint, most doctors and medical professionals care essentially about two major things. They want to give great quality care to their patients, and they want to get fairly paid for their services. How do you think that kind of jives with the health insurers out there today, and is it consistent or inconsistent with what, really what they're attempting to do? There certainly will always be tension between payers and providers of care. There's no doubt about it, whether it's private payers or the government. And I certainly agree with you. I think uh, almost anyone who goes into the practice of medicine has to do so with some reason of wanting to improve people's health and, and save lives if possible. But also in this country in particular, it's a good way to make a living, or at least it can be. I think that insurers have, over the past several years, been pretty ham-fisted in the way they've dealt with a lot of doctors and other medical providers, hospitals as well, and other facilities. And I think that resulted in the shift of power, or there's always, I think, an ongoing power play between insurers and healthcare providers. How much do we uh, allow the insurers to control the way we practice medicine, and how much leverage do we have when we're negotiating with them? Again, I think that's another reason why it's important to read this book. But my point, frankly, is that because health insurers have shifted from nonprofit status to for-profit status so much over the past 20 years that they're largely more accountable to Wall Street than any other constituency, any other share of stakeholder. And I think doctors in particular need to understand that and, and what their real motives are and why they do some of the things they do. It's really to make sure they're meeting shareholders' expectations and that they don't let their medical loss ratio inch up even a fraction of a percentage. It's a great point, and I think 
my audience and the docs that I hear from all the time are really impacted by some of what you just said, you know, the whims, if you will, of the insurance companies. Can you describe a little bit about the kind of the deliberate ways the insurance companies try to influence how medicine is actually practiced and what the doctor is doing when he's engaging his patients? It's, it takes many different forms, and some of them are almost too subtle to, I guess, to even be recognized. But even just the fact that doctors have to have a significant administrative staff these days, more than was the need in the past, is just one way of how they are so much in control or a part of doctors' lives, having to deal with so many different kinds of insurance benefit plans and the way that individual companies do business, what their expectations are even trying to figure out the formularies and the changes in the formularies and the changes in guidelines would be enough to drive anyone mad, I think, if you had to try to keep up with that. And, and a lot of that is intentional. Some of the changes in guidelines and practices are not communicated adequately, in my view, to the point that often doctors, I think, are submitting claims that are denied because of certain recent changes. So that's one way. Another is I really think that going forward, we probably will start seeing a return to more requirements for prior authorization to get certain things covered. There was a loosening of that over several years, but I think we'll probably go back to that as insurers are facing the prospect of not having some of the things available to them that has enabled them to make so much profit. Now, for example, in other new legislation, they'll not be able to deny care to someone or deny insurance to someone because of a pre-existing condition, and they won't be able to cancel someone's policy or rescind it just because they want to, when the claims start rolling in, they'll be looking for other ways to make sure that they are making the profit margins that Wall Street expects. It's really interesting. You were really on the inside of some of the early stages of the health reform debate. And as you and I know, the American Medical Association supported the president's health reform efforts and, frankly, took a lot of flack from their members for their position. But at the roots of that decision were, you know, really the notion of supporting a program that was going to deliver care for every patient and was really at the heart of what every caregiver is all about and why they got into medicine in the first place. Right. What do you think happened along the way with respect to the public option? And in the book, you talk quite a bit about the marketing and PR efforts to really change the perspective on the public option. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. One of the things that struck me as the Senate was preparing to vote on the bill, and I heard Claire McCaskill, the Democratic senator from Missouri, being interviewed, and she was asked, what happened? Why is there no public option in this bill, as there was in the House? And the bill was, in many respects, from a lot of perspectives, weakened. And she said, well, we lost the messaging battle. And that was at the heart of what happened. Proponents and the sponsors of the legislation and the leaders in both the House and the Senate took so much time to get the legislation passed and to the president that it gave the opponents a reform, or at least those who wanted to shape it to their liking, it gave them so much time to do so that it changed significantly between the time that it was first introduced and as it was taking shape and when it was finally passed by both the House and the Senate. America's health insurance plans was particularly active, largely behind the scenes in determining what was going to be in the bill and what was going to be stripped out of it. And Job one for the insurers was to make sure there was an individual mandate in that bill. They wanted to make sure that we were all required to buy their product because their current business models, quite frankly, are not sustainable over the long haul. And they needed to have this legislation. They needed to have that requirement 
because they're running away business. More and more people are just simply not able to buy their products. And the other objective was to make sure there was no public option in the bill because they did not want to have any new competitor, much less one that might operate more efficiently than the primary plans that are out there, particularly those that are offered by for-profit companies. They didn't want to have a nonprofit health plan to compete with that would not have to worry about what Wall Street thought. So job one was to make sure there was an individual mandate. Job two was to strip out the public option, and the industry got both of those. And I think the docs were in many ways duped, if you will, in their support early on in the belief that this was very much about caring for the uninsured, which is at the core of their mission. And ultimately, it didn't quite end up that way. No, there were a lot of people who were duped, including, frankly, the president and congressional leaders. And a lot of advocates were reformed. There was this misplaced belief that some of the players were going to be dealing honorably in trying to solve the problems of our country and our health care system and to make sure that we are really appropriately addressing the needs of people who don't have insurance. And it keeps rising and rising and rising to the point that now more than 50 million of us don't have coverage. But when you are a profit-making industry, your job has to be, number one, to satisfy shareholders and make sure they're, they're rewarded, that shareholder reward is what is expected. And to do that, as we are seeing, and as I point out in the book, these companies do a lot that are not very customer-friendly or consumer-friendly to be able to meet Wall Street's relentless profit expectations. So I think the president felt that he was someone who could bring parties to the table and everyone would come and reason together and we could come up with a bill that would truly meet the needs of Americans and all the vested interests could go along with it and be willing to give something up because you have to make sacrifices. But the insurance industry just didn't want to give anything up because they were afraid it might impede their profits and disappoint Wall Street. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Voices from American Medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Gary Epstein, and joining me today to discuss the state of the health insurance industry is the author of Deadly Spin, a former insurance company insider, Wendell Potter. Wendell, let's talk a little further about the players involved. First, would you tell, for our listeners who don't already know, tell them a little bit about what AHIP is and how it played a role, either transparent or non-transparent role, in the recent healthcare legislation debate? Sure. Uh, AHIP, which stands for America's Health Insurance Plans, is the preeminent trade association for health insurance companies. It is also the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, which is significant as well. But AHIP uh, encompasses all health plans, whether they're Blue Cross or non-Blue Cross plans, So it is the largest trade association. It lobbies for the industry. That's one of its main purposes. It's based in Washington to represent the industry in Washington. But it's also a PR operation, and it helps to try to shape public opinion one way or another with largely the the intent in the shaping of public opinion to influence public policy. It's led by Karen Ignani. She's been with the organization for several years now. She actually came out of, of all things, uh, labor. She was at the AFL-CEO for some time. But she led one of the predecessor organizations to AHIP. AHIP now is a bit different from what it was a few years ago. There have been some consolidation of some of the trade groups over the years. She initially was leading Group Health Association of America, which was, you know, back in the early 90s, the trade group for HMOs. What we have now is a group that encompasses both what was AHIP's predecessor companies and the Health Insurance Association of America, which represented primarily indemnity companies and small insurers for many years. It's one of the most influential lobbying organizations 
in the country. And I think that Karen Aknani is probably one of the most influential lobbyists uh, in Washington. One of the things I'd love to get your perspective on is what can physicians and medical professionals that are listening out there do now that reform is passed? And, you know, really, how can they help expose the hypocrisy of what's gone on to lead to this point and see if they can make a difference at this point? Do you have any thoughts on that? I sure do. And first of all, I think it's just get informed and stay informed. I talk to so many people who are quick to criticize the legislation, and they always cite the fact that it's 2,000 pages long. It is long, but, you know, it's not impossible to look at and to read and to understand why it took so much to, in such a complex bill to address the problems of a very complex healthcare system. Read the bill. Get a copy of it. Know what's in there. Educate yourself because it's about you. This affects how you're going to be leading your lives and your profession. That's, first of all, what I would do. I would understand it, and I would pay attention to how it's being implemented. The media is not going to do as good a job of covering the implementation of it uh, as it was to debate on the legislation, which wasn't all that great to start with. So it's going to be a challenge, but we really need to pay attention to that. Get to know who your members of Congress are. Get to know their staff members. Know your state legislators, because a lot is uh, obviously important at the state level as well. This bill will be implemented largely at the state level. Know who your insurance commissioner is. Just really take the time, and I know time is scarce, particularly if you're practicing medicine, but it's very important. I think that's right, and that's really what this show is all about, Voices from American Medicine, and we're trying to encourage our audience of physicians and medical professionals to share their voice and make some noise out there with respect to practicing medicine. And we certainly believe, it sounds like you believe that, and I do, as both insiders um, into the world of healthcare and, and what's gone on here, that they can make a real difference. So I can't believe we're out of time. I hope that I will have an opportunity to have you come back and talk further because this issue is so complex. I want to thank you, our guest, Wendell Potter, today, author of the recently published book, Deadly Spin. We appreciate you sharing your voice and your book with our audience. We're in for a lot more change and more debate, and uh, we look forward to having you back. Thank you. You've been listening to Voices from American Medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from physicians currently in practice on the front lines of healthcare. Voices from American Medicine is hosted by Gary Epstein.